What's up, guys? Coming at you with another episode of the Mavs Film Room Podcast. Can you believe it? This is our third episode this week, but it's been a very eventful week for the Mavericks. We just got through the draft last night. Very solid night for the Mavs in which they picked three players and traded for one veteran 3D wing. And we're on the eve of free agency, which starts tomorrow at 5 p.m. Central Time. So a lot of stuff to get into today regarding the draft and the upcoming free agency, which I'm sure is going to move quicker than last year. And last year was very quick. Honestly, I want to start out with the big move that was made for the Mavs yesterday. Seth Curry for Josh Richardson. There's nothing that's more emblematic of where the Mavs front office is trying to go right now. And my honest question is, where was this all these years? This isn't the first time that the Mavericks have had a top offense in the league and their defense has been extremely awful and they've lost out because of it perhaps it's because they got a young core so they can gamble a little bit more now so they feel more comfortable making these decisions but that being said Josh Richardson is a guy that I think a lot of people have silently wanted to be on the Mavericks since he was in a Miami Heat uniform so I'm extremely excited for him to get the opportunity to take the toughest defensive assignment come this season First of all, I completely agree that this Josh Richardson trade was absolutely the right trade to make. Seth Curry was a very big part of our record-breaking offense, and it's almost impossible to match his production with any other player in the league, save for Steph himself. But Josh Richardson provides threes and defense, as you mentioned, and even though he doesn't provide threes at the same rate that Seth does, he still shoots threes at a very acceptable clip and with him being in a better system in Dallas with a better offense as well, he should probably see an even greater uptick in his threes. Also, just to put it out there, he's a better scorer, a better finisher than Seth ever has been. So I'm very excited to see how that unfolds because he's just taller and more physical. Right. Seth Curry, I think it can't be understated that he's literally one of the best three-point shooters of all time. His three-point percentage for his career is like either tied or maybe slightly above Steph Curry, his brother, of course. So he's one of the best three-point shooters of all time. But I will say this. I think the Mavericks made a bet that Seth Curry is kind of a system player, given that the two best seasons of Seth Curry's career came with the Mavericks back in 2016-17 and here with the Mavs in 2019-20, which right. I think was probably the best season of his career. With Portland, he was shooting at a similar percentage from three, but his production overall was a little bit less, and that was likely well, because of there are caveats role. here. And when it comes to Seth Curry himself, I will say, yes, he's more valuable to the Mavs than he probably is with any other team. But I would say Philadelphia is a pretty close second. They made a good decision to trade to a team that needed somebody like Seth Curry. And on top of that, that had somebody that could defend something that they wanted for themselves. That being said, I wouldn't say that Seth is more a system player, but I do understand what you're trying to say. He has definite holes in his game. He can't really go left like that. His finishing game really isn't very robust. He's undersized. He can't play defense. So him being a stellar shooter who 
obviously is just otherworldly on that end is really what made him such an integral part of this offense. But when we're talking about his one lone season in Portland, we got to remember he was primarily a bench guard for that lineup, yeah, right? He was primarily yeah. being the combo guard next to guys like Anthony Simons and younger guys that necessarily don't have that upside. Whereas in Dallas, he's playing big minutes with the starting lineup and with the bench. And he's constantly he, getting the ball in his hands. So Exactly, exactly. Um, but I think with Josh Richardson... Like you guys touched upon, I think he's a very, very solid fit for this team, something that they lacked. I mean, I think about 3D wings that the Mavs have employed in the last few, not many come to mind because, you know, we're so used to seeing them play like trios of undersized point guards Hmm. that really can't hold their own. I mean, even this year, a year in which they presumably moved away from that philosophy. I mean, they were still playing Seth Curry and Jalen Brunson and, you know, in the bubble, Trey Burke. All players that are, you know, around the six feet, 180, 200 foot pound range. So Josh Richardson is a welcome sight in addition for this team and evokes memories of Deshaun Stevenson, of course, like that sort of player that can hold his own on defense and also knock down the three-pointer. And of course, Richardson is a skilled player who will certainly have the chance to be a creator in the offense to a certain extent as well. A lot of Mavs fans wanted Drew Holiday in a Mavs uniform. The last time Drew Holiday was up for contract, he was heavily rumored to be interested in the Mavs, so there was obviously mutual interest there. However, New Orleans didn't want to trade him to the West, and as far as a replacement for that prototype of a player goes, he might be the second guy in the league that can do a lot of those same things. So I would say it's all in all a win for the Mavericks on that move. And I think the bigger reason it's a win is because they drafted Josh Green. And Josh Green is definitely a more project type of player who plays that combo guard wing slot. So Josh Green does shoot three a little bit. He is not an adept playmaker. That is something that, especially last year, scouting reports before Corona were saying that he could develop. Luckily, the Mavs won't be really needing him to do that because they have Luka Doncic. And I think further, the Josh Richardson pickup means that there won't be as much pressure on Josh Green to pan out immediately and become that role player. There's enough time for him to grow and develop and do what he can already do for the team. Yeah, the thing with Josh Green is, of course, the Mavs drafted him with the thought that he would be able to step into the rotation immediately and play somewhat of a role because we did talk about uh, in the previous episode with Desmond Bain, one of the biggest benefits of him was that he could step in and contribute immediately. I think Josh Green may not quite be as polished as Desmond Bain, but of course his upside is a lot greater. Just given, yeah, he's younger. He's got a lot of length. I think the fact that he's like a defensive first player has him at a higher, potentially a higher baseline because now when you can build on that level of defense with with some more offense, I think you're getting a much higher upside in a player. And I think that's what the Mavs are sort of betting on. But given that he is a solid three-point shooter that can knock down the spot-up shot, you know, either from the corner or for the wings, I think that gives you a plus three-point shooter that you can put on the floor while not having to rely too much on The deal with Josh Green is, given his strengths and his weaknesses, even if he never works on his weak points and he just continues to build on his strengths, you'll have a very good, really an elite role player. And uh, to compare him to another Green, 
you will basically have a more athletic version of Danny Green out there. So that in itself is a, an amazing player. And I'm not sure if Josh Green's ever going to reach above 40% three-point seasons in the same way that Danny Green has when he was in his prime. But I would say for a kid who just turned 20, he there's no reason to count him out, right? I definitely don't think so. The thing that I want to add in terms of his archetype, because obviously we hadn't done sufficient research into him and a lot of the other prospects, now that I've gotten a chance to watch film, I'm more impressed by the motor on the guy. I think that is why a lot of scouts may have been looking at him and saying he's an unfinished product. He could become a better playmaker. He could become better in transition because of that. I think the fact that he's a 3 and D role player already serves him well I don't think he's going to be asked to contribute much more than that for the foreseeable future but at the same time I do think it will be a lot easier for him to develop on a team not only with Luca, but with a lot of high motor guys on the bench guys that can run and a lot of the more defensive wings that the Mavs brought in yesterday primarily because the game in the NBA is a lot faster than the game in college and so he'll get used to running in transition. And I think he'll be rewarded for doing that by Luca when Luca grabs a rebound, shovels it the full way up the court to get an easy basket. Yeah, I think yeah, one of the man. things when watching Green's film is that in addition to him being, you know, a plus defender and a solid three-point shooter, I think some underrated aspects of his game is, of course, his like leaping ability in that there are times where he was the screener at the top of the key where then he dove to the basket for the alley-oop as a cutter. That was probably a point that was a bit weak for him, but he has shown the ability to be a cutter that can finish at the rim given his leaping ability. And I think that's hopefully something that the Mavs can work with him on here in year one to really utilize because just given the kind of athlete that he is, it would just make too much sense for him to fill that role. Right. And Rohan, you made a really good point where we drafted Josh Green and a bunch of other like-minded role players who will have high energy and probably push each other in practice a lot. So there's definitely a synergistic effect with all of them. I definitely see a Miami Heat program going here. We saw the Miami Heat in the finals. And although I necessarily am not a fan of the team, I will say I like the identity that the team has. One of the questions that I always asked as a Mavs fan, as Dirk was aging and we knew that the future isn't guaranteed, I asked people pretty openly year after year, what is this team's identity? What is this team building around, right? And this draft had an identity, right? It's, it's motor, defense, dogs, just getting dogs who run. And I'm so glad that they got that because that's who they need. They have the supremely skilled top two guys that can lead you to a championship. Now they need the guys that are the backbone of the freaking team. And now they got it. I saw a lot of chatter on, on Twitter last night about how, oh, congrats to the Mavs on drafting like Justin Anderson 2.0. And I could see why Mavs fans were disappointed that they didn't pick Desmond Bain there at number 18. I know that everybody was rooting for that to happen, and I think they were pretty disappointed when it didn't happen. But I disagree with that pretty strongly. I think Josh Green has a much higher upside than Justin Anderson. 
The thing with Justin Anderson was he had that quantum leap in his shooting between his sophomore and junior years in college, uh, which clearly didn't translate to the NBA. And the Mavs had hoped that despite his his shooting numbers struggling in the NBA, that he would at least be a plus defender given his his body type. But I think Justin Anderson proved to be a pretty reckless player. Like even on defense, he gambled way too much and wasn't quite the defender they expected. In the case of Josh Green, like let's say that he does struggle shooting, which I don't think he will um, because his fundamentals look a lot more sound. But let's say that he does. I think his defensive instincts are still at a much higher level than Justin Anderson to where they they can rely on him to guard opposing point guards and opposing wings. And I think that's super valuable in this league. When Justin Anderson was drafted, I did a piece for Mass Moneyball and our own website. And so that was one of the first film breakdowns that I ever did. Uh, I still remember it fondly, obviously, but my eye test has improved a significant amount. Here's the difference between Justin Anderson and Josh Green. Josh Green's wingspan, much higher, okay? 6'10 wingspan, 6'6 height. He weighs enough to still be athletic and move quickly, but he also can make the guy who he is defending feel his weight. And not only feel his weight, but know how long he is. That's something Justin Anderson just didn't have, and we're only talking about the physicality here. Now let's go on to the three-point shooting. His form is much more stable. He doesn't lift as much. He doesn't move as many parts. It's a simple, really, one, two, three motion rather than a fling it up and flail your legs. And I think Justin Anderson could have become a good shooter if... The Mavs had immediately sat there and been like, okay, we're going to have you work with Holger, you're going to be in the G League, and you're not going to really come back up until your shot looks completely different. Then Justin Anderson could have been like a rotation piece for the Mavs that was still there today. But unfortunately, I don't think that was really worth the risk because Justin Anderson was in college for much longer. I think Josh Green being, one, an international prospect who is a multi-sport athlete until very recently, who is just dynamic in that sense, He has a lot more potential, not only because he's a better defender and because of his better physicality, but because he's simply more worldly. There are so many differences. I really dislike when Mavs Twitter is pedantic like that and when they're condescending towards these types of decisions. There's a lot of work that goes into them, and I think perhaps we should defer to the judgment of smarter people. Yeah, I mean, I think we should have expected the Mavs to, to zag when we wanted them to zig. Like, I think... The consensus was so much around Bain that if if you've followed this team for for however long you have, you almost expected them. I think they just proved us right last night that fans can want one thing, but ultimately the franchise will do what it feels is best for them. And I think in this case, it's not like the Mavs pick like say Alexei Pukashevsky, like a guy right. who is actually a huge developmental project that may take like two or three years to actually be able to contribute like josh green on his worst day would probably be okay to play like 10 minutes a game which is fine he would be a serviceable that... contributor even if he's not shooting well he will be playing good defense most of defense is about effort and not over gambling right we saw luca become a lot better at perimeter defense in the playoffs this year against one of the best teams in the league well supposedly so <laughs> I really don't think that Mavs fans should be so critical of a very young team that is making the right moves to build around a young superstar. This is better exactly. than them trying to sit around and get 
one of the top small forwards in free agency every single year and meanwhile putting out like the same undrafted guys that they overpaid for five years ago right and this is this is a whole shift of their philosophy which might be because we have two draft picks coming out to the knicks in the next four years hopefully and not any longer than that Hmm. but this is so radical of a change like we picked three players in the draft and none of them were gimmick picks like Bernard James or Satnam Singh. (laughs) And not only that, we signed two undrafted free agents who are legitimate, also legitimate players, especially Nate Hinton, which we'll get to him later. The Mavs had a clear goal in this draft. It was to add toughness, physicality, but more importantly, add guys that they felt could contribute right away. And I think they attacked it with like surgical precision. And like that sort of gets us to the next guy that they picked there at 31. Uh, I think, again, most Madsons were hoping that Bain would fall to 31, and he almost did. But he got taken, pick number 30 by the Celtics, who then traded him to the Grizzlies. But the Mavs were fortunate enough to get Tyrell Terry, who is a point guard out of Stanford, who was actually the first one and done men's basketball player in Stanford history. Yeah. So this is a guy who can really, really shoot. I mean, I think like when when they drafted him, I'm like, he looks very similar to the way that Seth Curry plays. And, you know, of course, the Mavs traded Seth Curry. And I can see now why they, they did it, because like they drafted a guy who is essentially the Seth Curry archetype, a guy who can light it up from three and can also handle the ball. Right. He can play a decent combo guard role. I think that's going to help him get playing time, which is probably the most important thing for a second-round guy that gets drafted by the Mavs, especially when that person is a guard. Number one, they have to be coachable. They need to understand the rigor. they got to have the work ethic. they got to have the motor. If they have those three things, I think sooner or later Rick Carlisle is going to gel with them. He's known to be a hard-ass. He's known to have some pretty tough rotations for young guards. But look at Jalen Brunson. Like Jalen Brunson at times cracks the rotation more than we would like him to, right? J.J. Barea was still in the rotation at points last season, and a lot of Mavs fans don't want him back next season. I love J.J. Barea. I have a J.J. Barea signature. One time I made J.J. Barea laugh, and that was like the highlight of my year, okay? This is not out of anything other than love to J.J. Barea, but this team has moved past 2011. It's moved past the time when J.J. Barea was a really, really solid contributor to the team. And I think if he wants to go somewhere else and make money, he should be allowed to do that. Yeah. That being said, Tyrell Terry, for me, doesn't necessarily fit the Seth Curry archetype as much as he fits almost a Seth Curry, Trey Young archetype, if that makes sense. I feel like he's more confident in this stage in his development than Seth Curry was. And because of that, he could develop with Sham God, you know, a right, a left, a good, unique floater game, a good off-the-dribble game, a couple feet in, and that could really help him crack the rotation past 15 minutes. So that is all about upside. So I do think he has a lot of room to develop his own game there. Yeah, he's certainly starting from a higher baseline than Curry did. The question is, is he taking over Trey Burke's spot? That's a good point. I think uh, prior to yesterday, I was pretty certain that they were going to bring back Burke. Now I'm not as sure about it. True. Like even in, even in this season, 
a lot of people got in Seth's case and criticized him for being too timid with the shots he took, the amount he took. And I don't think I see that problem with Tyrell Terry quite as much, if at all, because in just looking at his uh, highlights at Stanford, he was a very fearless player just in total on offense and even on defense, even if he's not the most complete player because of his physical limitations, he at least tried on both ends. So that's a great thing. And to your player comparison, Rohan, I think that Trey Young is certainly one of the types of players in his archetype, but one comparison I saw floating around online that really kind of stuck with me was Jamal Murray. I see that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see the potential, especially as a shot creator. Yeah. Yeah, so I think Tyrell Terry, in my opinion, out of all the rookies that the Mavs acquired yesterday, has the best chance to, to play significant minutes in the rotation, I think, for a variety of reasons. I mean, mainly because they traded Seth Curry. I mean, that sort of shooting is not easy to replace, and the Mavs feel like they got a guy who could step in from day one and sort of replicate that. Again, Seth Curry is one of the best three-point shooters ever, so I don't think it's reasonable to expect Tyrell Terry will be that, from the onset, but I think he certainly has a chance to be like a 40% three-point shooter in the NBA. It's also a timeline thing, right? Because they traded a guy who's in the prime of his career, playing the best basketball he'll play in his career, for a guy that could contribute something else that this team needs. And yes, Mm -hmm. that's a gamble, but it also is something that you're allowed to do because your two stars are what? 24 and 21? Like, you have a lot of time so why don't you get these guys on their rookie contracts, really let them play out, because this team is going to be good because of Luka and KP. If they're healthy, this team is going to win games. And ultimately, you also develop these guys, and then they have better market value as well. And so you can move later when you need to. Some of the guys that you end up getting through these moves, through your remaining draft picks that you didn't send to New York, to do something really stellar yeah i'm excited going to yesterday the mavs didn't have many assets that they could convert into actual you know trades in the future but as of yesterday they came out with several very solid tradable assets like even in josh richardson josh green and tyrell terry i don't expect them to move any of them in the near future but the mavs now have more assets than they did 24 hours ago Indeed. One of the other moves that they made was to draft Tyler Bay in the second round, but I believe they gave him a two-way contract. One of the things that the league has allowed teams to do is have two-way players spend the whole season with the team. At the end of the day, it's kind of negligible whether somebody's on a two-way contract or a regular contract once you get them in the second round. Either way, It also allows them the ability to develop with the G League associate once Corona is over. I'm with it. Tyler Bay seems like his main thing is rebounding and defense. And I've always said the Mavs are a horrible rebounding team. And I love it that Luka can get 20 rebounds in a playoff game. That's amazing. But I don't want it to be necessary for that team to eke out a one-point win. You know what I mean? 
I think the Mavs were an okay rebounding team this year, and even the year before. When they Giannis did it by committee, it. but once they got some of the injuries down, especially Powell, I feel it yeah. really changed the nature of how they rebounded. And I feel in the playoffs especially, you had people like Jamichael Green, who only played a couple minutes because Doc Rivers' rotations didn't make much sense, but was able to destroy us in that time because they were able to get some easy second-chance offensive rebounds. So right, this team both, does need somebody who can stop that. <laughs> right, both um, Jamichael Green and especially Evita Zubats. Like, that dude yeah. was killing us on every which way. And he honestly had no business killing us. <laughs> he, well, he wasn't doing anything spectacular, right? If he was making moves that really impressed me, I would be sitting here and saying, yeah, you know what, he had a really great game. But it was more just the Mavs didn't have the personnel to contend with him. So... For sure, even with Kristaps on the floor, yeah. Zubats was still having his way at times. It was a lot and, of the foul trouble, though. Like, the guards would get yeah. Kristaps in a foul trouble through the half, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. The, as far as rebounding goes, the Mavs need somebody who can pick up the slack when Kristaps is either injured or not in the game, or just in general, because I think it's never a good idea to rely on one player to fill something so important for your team as rebounding. Of course, what I'm more so saying is you have an energy guy who's going to get into it on defense, who is also going to be engaged when the shot goes up and try to get the rebound. That, in terms of energy, on top of skill set, is just something that is great for them to target in the second round when you're not necessarily getting surefire guys. You're not getting young prospects that could end up becoming sure rotation players. I think with Bay, he's got some solid fundamentals that he can build upon. Yeah. Of, of course, of all the players that they drafted, he's the most raw, but he's got great athleticism, good finishing ability on the inside, especially as a dunker. And he's even shown the ability to, to stretch out to the three-point line. If he can capitalize on his strengths like that, I think in maybe a year or two, he could definitely be a solid rotation player for the team. Look at Dorian Finney-Smith. It really is a case of fit and development and if he can develop maybe a reliable corner three i mean he could crack the rotation for enough time for him to be something in the league and to be something for the Mavs. there is potential for all of these guys but that really brings us through the draft but the mavs signed some undrafted guys yesterday as well the first guy you have is nate hinton who not too long after the draft was over, announced the signing on Instagram Live, and that's how the news broke. So I thought that was kind of cool. Wild. Nate Hinton, according to Mavs Draft, is one of the most unique players in the entire draft process. Like he has a skill set that is very much you wouldn't expect that from a guard slash wing of his size. He's correct me if I'm wrong here. He's six five with about a six nine wingspan. I'm not sure. I haven't really looked into his physique. I have seen a lot of his footage. Oh my yeah. god. He's a lockdown defender and again, for somebody of his height, he averages a lot of rebounds. When I when I was watching the one thing I can just say is energy. How much energy this guy plays with. I mean, every single part of the game, he at least wants to do what he can and it feels like he's an essential glue guy for his team in a lot of those clips. So I'm excited to see how he plays with a lot of the second unit. He's obviously going to be a two-way guy, but like we said, two-way guys are going to be with the team. 
potentially for a lot of the season. Yesterday, in summary, was probably one of the best drafts the Mavs have ever had, quite frankly. Of course, they had the Luka draft a couple years ago, which was legendary. Just from a strategic perspective, I don't think the Mavs have ever really done what they did yesterday, which was really, really refreshing to see given the types of things that they've done in the draft like in recent years. DeLon Wright deleted all the pictures from his Instagram. Things like are gonna move fast now. He, he um, definitely was on Twitter the entire time reading what everyone was saying about him and hating yeah. the fact that he wasn't that he wasn't really contributing and wasn't trying after a certain point. And now he's yeah. just like, Hi, I'm out. I think Dylan has just rubbed people the wrong way, especially with his like a brother tweeting shit during the year too. Like, really? Yeah, because he was like, I think at one point, like uh, Darrell Wright was like, like tell coach to like play him more or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was either on Twitter or Insta. Yeah. Also, I, not even. I would have been saying the same thing if he didn't hesitate every single time he shot. It was so yeah, confusing. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Like right. you don't even project as a bad three-point shooter to shoot the fucking ball. You're not Ben Simmons. I don't understand yeah. it. I don't. And not to mention that him and his brother like idolized Wayne Wade, so that's like another oh, thing. Oh God, yeah. <laughs>